Anna Holmes has had a long career in media. In her 20s, she worked for Entertainment Weekly, Glamour, and HBO. Then she wrote a book about breakups and founded the website Jezebel. These days, she's a columnist for the New York Times Book Review, where she writes about very tricky issues in the world of writing, like the line between empathy and exploitation. Very recently, she's become a regular co-host of the Slate podcast About Race. That's a weekly podcast about the ways we can't talk, don't talk, would rather not talk, and sometimes embarrassingly do talk about culture, identity, politics, power, and privilege in America. So Anna, one thing we're talking about on the show is words that people use to describe women that they don't use to describe men. So, mm -hmm. and then of course, in this election, we've seen so much rhetoric around Hillary Clinton being, uh, you know, shrill or overprepared that you just wouldn't see about male candidates. Yeah. So what are your least favorite words that people use to describe you that you're like, oh, ja, don't do oh. that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a great question because I'm sure there are words that people use to describe me and that, that I don't hear because they're not ever said in my presence and they're probably not. <laughs> complimentary. I mean, I think sometimes people use words to describe me that I that I don't um, agree with. But but those th those aren't gendered, maybe, although maybe they are. For example, someone once described me as very confident and I'm like me. But they might think that because I'm tall and I'm loud, right? But that doesn't mean that I'm confident. So maybe there is something gendered there, right? Maybe perhaps because uh, to be tall and, and loud and have a fairly deep voice, maybe, you know, codes as more male than female, then that translates to confidence. And I'm not saying I'm totally unconfident, but I, I would not describe myself as a confident person. I would describe myself as a normal person who, like anybody else, is trying to figure out her way through his or her way through life um, with, you know, and all those insecurities and confusions and self-doubt that that accompanies that. Um, you know, I've I've heard someone before describe describe me as articulate that, again, wouldn't feel more. It felt more maybe racialized than gendered. Um, although I'm not sure if the person who used it to describe me knew that I'm that I'm black. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of there are other words that I've heard. Gosh, um, like loud to me, I don't take as an insult because, well, it just it is. I just kind of am loud, but I, I also I always have been, and I would rather be loud than than quiet. Um, I, I realize that it's, you know, historically not something that women are supposed to be, um, or children are supposed to be, but I don't take it as a, I don't take it as an insult when it's been used to describe me, and and it usually isn't men as one, um, and 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 I don't think of it as coded as you know for something else that's far more sinister, like, um. Uh, uppity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so you work as a writer and editor primarily. What words, when you see them in print or in other people's stories, raise your hackles when they're describing women or women of color? Um, brash, ambitious. Actually, maybe loud. Maybe loud would, would actually bother me if I saw if I saw it used to describe somebody else. Um, I think it actually might. I think I might actually flag that. Uh, even if it doesn't feel untrue when directed at me. Um, because you're like, I actually am loud. I know that as a truth. Yeah, but that's like someone saying that I have brown hair. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, and then certainly words like yeah, shrill or preachy. Um, 
all of the words that we already know are are coded either in gendered or or, or racial or or both ways are are the ones that would that would you know raise my suspicions and my hackles. Um, and I think I'm pretty attuned to that stuff and 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 good about ferreting it out and and when when I see it, which isn't that often. Um, at least among people that I work with in terms of their writing. I certainly see it, you know, in the in publications that I read, but I don't encounter it as an editor that often. Okay, so this next question is kind of tricky, but um, the, f- the first step, obviously, toward um, getting better at addressing sexism and racism and other forms of discrimination in our workspaces is recognizing that they exist at all and that those dynamics are present. So mm-hmm. can you think of times in your work experience when you've seen dynamics occur in an office that you're like, ah, that's a gendered interaction or ah, that's a racialized interaction. And whether you called it out or not, that you were just like, oh, it's on my, it's on my radar is this is happening. And people and the men, usually the white men in the situation don't necessarily see it. <laughs> it's funny because it, well, something happened a couple of weeks ago. There was, there was a, someone in our office coming who, like a, a, a an outsider who was coming in to present a technology that he wanted us to use um, in in the course of our putting together stories. And so he was brought into a conference room with myself, another senior female editorial person, um, a senior female operations person, and um, one male um, who was a little bit less senior than us and younger. Um, and the individual, the, the contractor, if you want to call it that, uh, addressed all of his comments to the other male in the room. Um, he was looking at him the whole time and I noticed it and I started getting irritated about it. Then I had to leave the meeting early just because I had to, but I wasn't, you know, that, that made me so much more like, more likely to not take his pitch seriously. The fact that he was addressing his pitch and his comments to the other male in the room, um, it suggested to me that he didn't see us, that he hadn't done his homework as to who was really in charge in that in that room. And so anyway, I was irritated. And then, you know, the meeting ended. And later on in the day, I went up to my male colleague, the one who'd, who'd, who'd been the recipient of, of all of this, uh, of, of this pitch. And I said, did you notice that that dude was only looking at you when he talked? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally noticed. And it made me feel so warm and fuzzy. First of all, that he noticed, right, Um, and that he was irritated by it. Uh, I think, you know, where it becomes difficult is, well, do you say something in the moment? I I don't know that I – well, I didn't, and I don't know that I would have. It's possible that um, had I been irritated enough if – I had said goodbye to this contractor, like if I had stayed for the entire meeting and then done the you know goodbye thing, I might have said something. Or if he had emailed me later to follow up, like, what do you think about, you know, are you interested in this? Um, that I might have said, well, you know, it sounds like you have a great product, but I would give you one piece of advice. <laughs> I probably would do yeah. that. But, um, but I think that just feeling that I could vocalize my frustration ab- about that and the fact that I noticed it um, to a coworker, to a male coworker, um, who totally got it was something that felt really heartening to me. And I, you know, I was, I was very appreciative that, that, that he noticed. And I think, you know, we're all more attuned to that sort of thing. I can't tell you, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure that 20 years ago when I was first starting out in, you know, the work world, 
that I would have noticed. I may, I may have noticed that, but I don't know. I would have noticed it so quickly, you know, and maybe I'm looking for that stuff more the older I get, um, which is fine. <laughs> uh, but, but I, 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 I felt, I felt kind of proud of myself for noticing it and proud of my coworker for noticing it. Um, and proud that we both had the same reaction to it, which was that stinks. Yeah, it's tricky to navigate these situations. There's no hard and fast rules because every situation is different. You know, in that case, it's a contractor. You're probably never going to see him again versus somebody who's your boss or somebody who's your coworker. Right. Who there's a different relationship there. But I'm interested. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self uh, who was just entering the working world 20 years ago about how to navigate these kinds of situations around racial dynamics and gender dynamics? It's it's just so tough because it's like it's not like I have the answers now. Twenty years later, <laughs> um, I mean, I really don't. I think, I think that I think that we live in a culture, and you know, I, I, let's let's be honest. When I say we, maybe I'm only speaking of you know places like New York, where people are, for the most part, progressive about issues regard you know around, or at least you know, comparatively pro- progressive about issues around gender or race. Um, I, I think I think the best thing to do is to take notice of a situation or situations and try to determine whether this is a uh, an ongoing thing, like a trend. like it because I really I really do think that if someone said something that was explicitly racist in my presence, I would definitely say something to them. and it's difficult more difficult with, with sexism, you know, it really, it really is. Um, I, I think sometimes it's maybe harder for observers to determine when something is sexist because they, they're not as primed to be able to recognize it as they are racism. Um, and I'm sure there are people who would disagree with me about that, but that's, that's where I think we are right now. I would, I would say to someone who is just starting out that, um, to, take stock, take notice. I think that talking to a trusted colleague, and I mean, again, when I said something to my colleague, he's a trusted colleague. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if he'd been from a different department. I didn't know him that I would have said, I would have said, did you, did you ask him if he'd noticed um, the, the the dynamic that I'd witnessed? But I think talking to a trusted colleague and then, and then, you know, it's really tough because it's like, I don't, I don't like creating conflict either, although one could argue that the, 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 the mere utterance of something that's sexist or racist is, is the creation of conflict, um, even if it's more passive. I, I think it's good to give people the benefit of the doubt, but that doesn't mean you don't say anything. Um, but I think the best way to have your concerns heard by someone, um, whether it's your mother, sister, coworker, neighbor, um, is to present it in a way in which you own your own feelings. I mean, this is just like a good rule for life. So instead of saying you made me feel X, Y, or Z, um, you know, you could phrase it like when, when I heard you say that, when I heard you make that comment about, you know, whatever, I felt demeaned as a woman. Um, now it's very likely that the person that's going to get defensive anyway. Right. <laughs> but they can't argue with you when you say I felt demeaned. They can argue with you when you say you made me feel like, or you, or, or, or you did this, or you are that, but they can't argue with you when you're just basically presenting it as, as, as your feelings. And so I think that's a good way to try and communicate in general with people, but also perhaps, you know, within, in, in the workplace. Um, 
with regards to things that you hear that that are that are upsetting. And I mean, with with regards to like situations or trends that you're witnessing, which, you know, for example, the men are getting promoted and the, women, and the women aren't. It's not that easy. Right. You can't just go up to someone and say that and, and expect to be heard or expect the situation to change. In that case, my, I mean, again, this is really hard for me to give advice about because I'm not sure it's the right answer. Um, but to but to talk to people outside your, your workplace who you trust about what they think you should do. I think that, you know, there are a lot more options for for young people and older people in terms of how to navigate the workplace just because of the Internet and because of, you know, the, the ability to, to, to canvas other you know friends and, and um, even unknown people that you're conversing with on, on the Internet about strategies and techniques. Well, it's so interesting you bring up there how um, when you're somebody who tells somebody that something that they've said is upsetting to you and that it's made you sad, um, you're seen as the person who's creating conflict there and that you, you know, you can shy away from being like, oh, I don't want to tell this person that this was screwed up. Mm-hmm. But the issue that's creating conflict there is what they've said or what they've done or the pattern that exists. But the right. onus for it is put onto the people who were uh, ignored or offended. Right. right. Well, I'm not sure how you change that is the thing, <laughs> you know, like because e- 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 the, the onus is always going to be put on them a- a- unless unless the people unless people refuse to have the onus put on them, in which case they just walk away from the situation, which is not necessarily, a, 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 you know, the, the, the most productive or healthy thing to do. If it is, it is. If, if it isn't, it isn't. But I don't know how you change. <laughs> I don't think that I, I mean, I just think that's part of life is that that that, you know, we are forced to deal with and bear burdens that that are unfair um and seem unfair and feel unfair and are unfair in, in many cases but there, there, there's nothing we can do about that that's just part of, of 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 existing and you know interacting with society and other people i'm not sure if it's making sense but um i don't know how you turn the onus back on somebody else when they've created the conflict that's the thing well do you feel like there are ways you've changed your own behavior um in in the working world, like, do you feel like you've become more forthright or more quick to call people out or more quick to walk away and be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't have to deal with you. Well, the thing is, is oftentimes I do have to deal with them, you know? So, so if, 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 if I'm in a situation where I can say it doesn't matter, I don't have to deal with you, then, then I am much more likely to walk away. But like life is not, I mean, if only life were so easy, most of the time, the people that I deal with on a daily basis are people that I deal with on a daily basis, whether they're my family members or friends or coworkers. And, and I don't have the luxury of just being, of walking away from them in that way. Um, you know, especially, especially in terms of, you know, family and coworkers. I mean, I almost feel like it's easier to break up with a friend, although it might be much more in the end traumatic than, than to, you know, walk away from a family member or a coworker. There's, you know, we have jobs, we need to pay our bills. Um, we don't, most of us don't have the luxury of saying fuck it and just, and, you know, flouncing out. So I, I think the older, as I've gotten older, I've become, I become more likely to, I become more likely to express my feelings about something to somebody. And again, I usually I try and do them in the context of owning them, as, as I just kind of outlined before. Um, I, I don't know that I'm more likely to say something. I think that I'm less afraid the older I get, which is either a function of just being older and wiser, or perhaps it's a function of feeling more secure in my career so that uh, I don't feel that the repercussions of my speaking out 
would would, would be as dire as perhaps I feared they would be when I was younger. Um, so I, I think that I'm more likely to, to say something. But again, I, I have to decide like when I want to have those fights. And I may be using the word fights is, is in itself um, too provocative. I have to decide when I want to have those conversations. So now you're often in the position where you're a manager or you're in charge. You're the boss in a lot of circumstances. So can you think of things you try to do as a boss to get around sexist and racist ways that uh, offices are often structured? Are there intentional things that you do as a manager or as an editor to say, uh, hey, feel supported or, hey, I'm going to make space for this? Yeah, I mean, if 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 I, I will, if if I feel that someone is being overlooked or ignored, and this and that person comes from a, you know, historically marginalized background, whether that's because of their gender or sexual orientation or race, then I will often try to include them in conversations. Um, I'll be more aggressive about trying to include them in conversations. Perhaps um, I will. You know, I'm more likely to say something. I mean, I, I I've say something to to higher ups if I feel that the complexion of an office is not really in in keeping with the stated goals and um, mission of the company I'm working for. Um, you know, and, and part of this is just getting older and feeling more secure. Yeah, in in my career and. I, but I also think, you know, a lot of it is, is related to a well, life is short <laughs> and, uh, you know, feeling, um, feeling, feeling confident in myself in ways that have nothing to do with my career. Right. So there's both the like career part. Okay. I feel like I'm, you know, fairly well established. And if this isn't, if this one thing doesn't work out, then hopefully I can find something else, but it's also just being older in general. Um, and, 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 being less willing to um, stand idly by or put up with 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 certain things, although I do stand idly by and put up with things. I mean, I'm not trying to give the, I'm not trying to give the impression that that doesn't happen. It happens a lot. Like that's part of like being a mature adult <laughs> is you know putting up with certain things that are irritating. You can't you know react to everything that's difficult in life, or else you're never going to get anything done. So, <laughs> but I think I think I get what you mean, which is I just turned thirty this year, and I thought I would be kind of like depressed about it but instead mm -hmm. I've been feeling very powerful <laughs> that's the only way to put Great. it I've been feeling like oh hey I have skills and I know what I'm doing and yeah. I feel good about my body and I feel good about myself and that's changed the way that I approach all encounters even ones that aren't in the office yeah I mean I don't know when I was in my 20s the women I admired the most tended to be older than me, which, which, which suggested to me that getting older was going to be a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, I didn't tend to freak out about those milestone birthdays, like 30 or even 40 because of the fact that, that the, the women who were, you know, 10 years, my, my senior, or maybe even five, five to 10 to 15 to 20 years, my senior were for the most part, the ones that I encountered, you know, much more, they felt much more self-possessed and confident and, you know, um, a part of themselves than, than I, I did at that moment. And that a lot of women around me who were my age felt as, as well. And so it, it, to me, that suggested that there was a certain, um, growing into one's own skin and comfort level that, that, um, that happens as, as you get older. And I'm sure that maybe that's the same for men too, but I think it's especially 
poignant for women because women are prized for their youth, <laughs> you know, in, in a way that men are not. And so those sometimes those things, the idea of, of um, embracing getting older seems at odds with what's what we're expected to, to want of ourselves and expected that other people want of us. So what what do you think you'll be like when you're 60? <laughs> I'm probably loud. That was Anna Holmes. Check out her work pretty much everywhere, but specifically on the podcast About Race, which is produced by Slate and Panoply Media. 